Thank you very much, Laura, for ministering in music. During the month of October, well, I guess actually the last Sunday in September and then during October, Elka Martin, who cleans the church, is going to be going to Germany. Jeff has had shoulder surgery, so he will not be able to clean the church. So some of you are willing to sign up for cleaning the church for a week or two. There's a sign-up sheet in the vestibule with elite weeks listed if you're willing to help out while Alka's in Germany. And then also, you know, in light of Jeff's shoulder, you know, so he's not able to do what he normal does, normally does in helping Alka. But that's in the vestibule if you want to help out. And also, for about three minutes after church, I'd like to meet with the deacons and elders. And again, be very, very brief. So, uh, again, be very brief. Tonight, I want to begin a study on idols, heart idols. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, when I prepare my sermons, you know, if I prepare them the week that I preach them, that's very rare. What I'm presenting tonight and, you know, for a number of weeks, probably been four or five years in the making, in the sense that, uh, you know, I'll be studying a portion of Scripture, and I'll think, you know, I'd like to preach in that sometime or speak on it. And then a couple of weeks later, a month or two later, I'll pick up and study on that some more. And this is one that I've been studying off and on, and I thought I might speak on it sometime, I might not. But... Uh, it's one that is close to my heart, and I think you will understand as we go along. And as we think about idols, we think about heart idols, there are at least two basic reasons the Lord longs for us to lay aside idols in our hearts, as well as idols in general. We have abundance of idols in our country. We have abundance of idols worldwide. But why the Lord would like for us to deal with heart idols? And the first reason would be, as humans, we have been created for the glory of God, for the glory of the Lord. Idols of the heart, or idols, period, hinder the Lord being glorified through us. God created us to relate to him. An idol or idols hinder that taking place. And I list a number of scriptures there. We won't look at them at this time. Secondly, we are designed to live in fellowship with the Lord and to find joy, contentment, and satisfaction in God and in Christ alone. Heart idols mean we are finding our joy, contentment, and satisfaction in someone or something other than the Lord and Christ. We're designed for fellowship with the Lord and to find our joy and contentment in Him. And uh, idols mean we're not finding our joy and contentment in Him. And that then means we can never find satisfaction. So what is an idol? A couple definitions. These are not all original with me. Anything or anyone, whether it be in your desire, your thinking, or belief, which hinders a passionate love for God and satisfaction in Christ alone as seen in a lack of love for others. Just anything that hinders a passionate love for God, satisfaction in Christ, and that's being seen in love for others. Another definition of an idol, the choice to make a good thing or a person a supreme thing or person thus taking priority over love for God and for Christ alone. 
See, idols are not always evil, bad things. It can be a good thing. It can be a good person that is being made a supreme thing or a supreme person, not taking priority over the Lord. Pop legend Madonna describes this seduction of success in her own words, and I quote, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get another, go to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from what this one horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always punishing me, pushing me. Because even though I've been somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will, end of quote. Her idol was, her idol is, that she has to be somebody. Some quotes. Anything that prevents the gospel from having center stage in your life will dramatically affect the way you live and hinder the degree to which you can glorify God. Brad Bigney. Idols never satisfy. They just leave you with a nagging lust for more. Idols never satisfy. They just leave you with a nagging lust for more. See, one of my idols in the past was my 69 Chevelle. I guess I realized how much of an idol it was when it was totaled. I thought, I have to get another car. That's nice. I ended up with an Opal. That was anything but nice. Let's entitle a book. His desires, her desires. Your spouse will never meet your needs. So shut up and get over it and get to know God. Oh, my spouse is going to meet all my needs. Your spouse can't satisfy what only God can satisfy. A spouse may meet many needs, but still can't satisfy totally and completely. What's the core of idolatry? Idolatry? We were created to find satisfaction in God and in Christ alone. Nothing else, no one else can satisfy. To seek satisfaction in anyone or anything other than God or Christ will bring emptiness. I'm sure some of you know that quite well. I know that quite well. This is why we run after numerous people and things, but still come up, come up empty. Idols are empty. That is empty wells. 
clouds without rain, banks without money. The core is heart idols. Thus we keep running from one empty item or empty person to another, a treadmill of seeking but never finding. Think about how many people in our world today are running from one empty well to another. Ah, I'll get this job and it's going to bring me satisfaction and they get the job and it leaves them empty. So they get another one and then that leaves them empty and they get another one. Ah, I got this man or I got this woman and that doesn't bring fulfillment. So I'll get another one and run from one relationship to another. Just some examples of how we run from things. Just another new thing. I understand some new iPhone came out this week and, you know, your fingerprint is what gets you into your phone. Not knocking new iPhones, but how many people have to have the newest and the best? You know, they run from one, one thing to another. Some parents run from children. You know, they run from one book to another, to one, from one seminar to another, trying to find out how to have good children, thinking that good children will bring contentment when only God and Christ can. Some people are looking for fun and they run from one game, from one computer, from one amusement park to the next and they still come up empty. Some people just work themselves to death thinking they'll find satisfaction and still come up empty. <clears throat> Have we considered within the Christian community, within our nation, how our love affairs with fun, with new things, with technology, with music, with amusement parks, and so on, show us how empty we are. Just the issue of contentment. Nothing will change on the outside unless we deal with the issue of the heart. A foundational, couple foundational facts. Idolatry seems to be the root of all other sins. Idolatry seems to be the root of all other sins. For quite a few years when I was a teenager and into my early 20s, I was out to make a mark in the world I wanted to be, quote, successful, whatever that looks like. And that meant that I had to be the best. So when we sold seeds in Future Farmers of America, I had to, had to be the top salesman. When we had a parliament procedure contest, you had eight officers, president, vice president, president, secretary, treasurer, and so on. I wanted to be president. In a public speaking contest, I wanted to win. My goal was to be the state president of the Future Farmers of America, which never materialized, beginning of my humbling process. But what was I doing? That was at the core of some other issues in my life. Oh, I was a Christian and seeking to walk with God. But yet some things in my life that uh, God began to deal with me, just showing some idols. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks of the glory of the gospel. In verses 16 and 17, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there's a righteousness from God revealed in the gospel. And he also talked earlier, well, in verse 17, he says, the righteous you know, will live by faith. And then in verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse." Just a couple comments. Clearly stated, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. But what do they do? They suppress the truth by their wickedness. So as people practice wickedness, what are they doing? They're pushing down the truth or holding down the truth that God is against godlessness and wickedness. Because what is known about, may be known about God is plain to them. And we think about evil in our world, we think about people pursuing idols, they all know that God's wrath is against godlessness and wickedness. How is it made plain to them in verse 20? Through the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. The eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And that's understood by what has been made, so they're without excuse. So you walk up to an evil person who has all kinds of idols and say, are you aware there's a God? Oh, there is no God. Well, for them to claim there is no God, they have to acknowledge that there is one. They know there is a God. They know that God... And his wrath has been revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men. It's seen in what God has created. That's why you can go to parts of the world where the gospel has never been taken and people are trying to appease God. Notice verse 21. For although, for although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their, foolish, or their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God has revealed from heaven his wrath against godlessness and wickedness of men. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. They knew God and they said no. They didn't glorify him as God. They didn't give thanks to him. Kind of reminds you of Adam, doesn't it? And Eve. They knew God, but what did they do? They didn't glorify him. They didn't give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, they made a choice to turn from God. The fact that God's wrath is revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men. 
Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. As you look down through the pages of history, you'll find that people have repeatedly worshipped images made like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. In Exodus chapter 32, the nation of Israel set up a golden calf to worship the Lord. Now, they didn't lay aside the Lord. They just brought in the calf to worship the Lord. Where did that come from? Probably Egypt. In verse 24, God gave them over and so on. Let's go to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, just before Daniel. Ezekiel 22. One of the difficult things about the Old Testament is that God's chosen people, Israel, repeatedly pursued idols, repeatedly. And that seems to have begun very strongly in Exodus 32, just several months after they were out of Egypt. But in Ezekiel 22, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, will you judge her? Will you judge a city of bloodshed? Then confront her with all her detestable practices, that is, confronting Jerusalem and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O city that brings in herself doom by shedding blood in her midst and defiles herself by making idols. You become guilty because of the blood you have shed and become defiled by the idols you have made. You brought your days to a close and the end of your years has come. Therefore, I will make you an object of scorn to the nations and a laughing stock to all countries, those who are near and those who are far away will mock you, O infamous city, full of turmoil. See how each of you, or each of the princes of Israel, who are in you, uses his power to shed blood. In you they have treated father and mother with contempt. In you they have oppressed the alien and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You've despised my holy things, desecrated my Sabbaths. In you are slanderous men bent on shedding blood. And you are those who eat at the mountain shrines and commit lewd acts. And you are those who descend on their father's bed. And you are those who violate women during their period when they are ceremonially unclean. And you, one man, commits a detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. Another shamefully defiles his daughter-in-law. And another violates his sister, his own father's daughter. And you, men, accept brides to shed blood. You take usury and excessive interest and make unjust gain from your neighbors by extortion. And you have forgotten me, declares the sovereign Lord. Now that's Ezekiel speaking for the Lord. And that's addressed to Israel, God's chosen people. He clearly states in the early part of the chapter concerning idols. Look in Ezekiel chapter 28. We find here a 
lament concerning the king of Tyre, and many people believe that it is also involving the enemy, Satan, and I'm inclined, inclined to go along with that. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you, ruby, topaz, emerald, crystallite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and surround or mountings were made of gold. On the very day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and made you a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you and reduced you to ashes on the ground. In the sight of all who knew, in sight of all who were watching, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You've come to a horrible end and will be no more. Now he's clearly speaking of the king of Tyre, but it is believed that the one who is behind the king is none other than Satan himself. And you could look at Isaiah, and Isaiah says something about Satan. He was created, and possibly the highest angel in heaven but he wanted to be like God. His fall was because he didn't worship God. And it's interesting when you look at Genesis 3, and we'll look at that in the future, that in Genesis 3, you have a selfish, eye-centered Serpent, luring Adam and Eve from complete satisfaction in God and in God alone. I think as you study scripture, the serpent was the first one to yield to idols himself. He took some angels with him, and then he lured Adam and Eve away from God and God alone and we know the consequences that has followed. Idols have been a problem ever since. Israel struggled with idolatry. America struggles with it. The body of Christ struggles with it. And that seems to be at the root of other sins. Seems idolatry is a core sin which results in many other sins.
In Exodus 20, the first four commandments deal with keeping God central, thus rejecting idols. First four commandments are basically Israel. I brought you out of Egypt. You've got to keep me central. No other gods. Don't misuse my name and so on. Because if you don't keep me central, you're in trouble. Most of Israel's and Judah's sins were related to idolatry. Idolatry being the core. In James chapter 4, 1 through 6, passage we'll look at in the future, you find there that James talks to the fighting and quarreling that were going going on among the professing believers to whom he is writing. And what does he say to them? He clearly says that the root issue was the heart. The root issue was idols. He says, you idolatrous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? See, any time that there's conflict among believers that is not being resolved biblically, we immediately know that idols are involved in some way. So if you're going to resolve the conflict, you have to look for the idols. Because unless the idols are dealt with, anything you do with the conflict will be merely painting over a rusty barrel. So Ruth Ann and I have a conflict. And it just doesn't get resolved. We need to stop and say, what idols are in my, our hearts? It's not limited to one of us because if there's conflict, it takes two of us. So what, what idol is seeking to get at us? And I think about the many conflicts that the body of Christ has down, had down through the ages. Stop and say, what's going on in the heart? What idol is present? In Ephesians 1 through 3, Colossians 1 and 2, the focus is on Christ and in Christ alone. He calls them back to Christ and to Christ alone. And perhaps that's why Psalm 139, 23, and 24 should be our prayer of our life each day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. I'm amazed at how quick we can move towards something or someone other than Christ and Christ alone. Sometime back, there's a number of pastors and I talking and discussing some things, and some of those present were somewhat discouraged. <clears throat> and the rest of us responded. I think the bottom line was they were looking for something to be happening. An idol of the heart. Or an idol of the heart creeping up. For those parents or those of you who had struggles or those you're in the midst of struggle, your kids are not responding and you become very frustrated to the point that you respond incorrectly. Have you stopped to consider that the idol of your heart is 
I'm worthwhile as a parent if my children turn out well. So you get furious and you respond incorrectly. Deal with the idol of the heart. So as I stood in Chattanooga on the main drag going downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I looked at my car and I thought, oh. And I'd walk down myself, Ruth Ann didn't go along, and I cried. And as I was standing there crying, the Lord kind of said, Dan, aren't you glad your idol has been showing? You've worshipped this long enough. You're training to serve me in ministry, full-time ministry, but you're worshipping a car. See, that was showing me the heart. Just some statements in terms of amplifying idolatry being the root of all other sins. If we don't confront idolatry, why go on? Because then one idol leads to another, and it may not be a seen thing. In seeking to deal with all sins, we must confront what idol is in our lives. You know, as you talk to others, what idol is in their lives? One of the struggles that has become very strong among people in our culture today is the whole issue of pornography. And we try to do many things to help people who are struggling with pornography. But probably one of the basic questions that need to be asked, what idol is in that person's heart that must be addressed? Because if it's not addressed, you can keep putting Band-Aid and Band-Aid on, but probably won't make much progress. Someone who has a battle with anger what idol is present that moves them to anger? Idolatry affects how we view scripture, how we view life, how we view the church, and so on. Do you ever stop and consider why some people get so uptight about what's happening in our nation with health care and so on? What idol is underlying that? Oh, I can't believe our government is doing this. Oh, there's Obamacare. You know, we can really get intense about that. Some people can. Whether it's good or bad, I'm not ready to say it's good. I'm not ready to say it's terrible. But what, what prompts that to be so strong? The fitting, the fitting punishment for malfunction in worship God is a malfunction in other relationships. When I am struggling in relating to other people in a godly way, I'm not saying I'm just having struggles, but I'm not responding well, I better go back to my relationship with God because there's something in my relationship with God that needs to be addressed. As I struggle with people horizontally, that means vertically there's something going on that needs to be addressed. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, relating to God comes first then relating to others. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, relating to Christ comes first, and then relating to others. So I've had to ask myself when I 
have a real strong response, and maybe I don't always express it, but, you know, it's there. I think, what's going on in my heart? So I'm driving down the road, and a driver in front of me does something stupid, and just like that, you know, ah, what's going on in my heart? Well, there's something going on there. What's going on in the heart of our nation? When... We can be so consumed with some 1,400 people in Syria, and I'm not belittling that, and not concerned about the some 4,000 that were aborted this past week. I'm not belittling those in Syria that died. That's not my point. I'm just saying we don't seem to grasp that. Because in a large, to a large extent, we're an idolatrous nation. <clears throat> Whoever follows after that which is nothing will become nothing. I'd like you to listen just as I just listen as I read from Jeremiah chapter two and verse five. We'll comment more on this passage and related passages. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. We become what we worship. Happened to Israel. Struggles in relating to others always have idolatry at the core. Relational struggles seem to be due to idolatry. The heart. Israel struggled over and over again. But the heart. What was going on inside of them? Therefore, God always addresses idolatry first. With Adam, he addressed Adam's idolatry. Adam, where are you? Adam, you're not around anymore. I used to have communion with you. Where'd you go? What happened? Adam could have said, God, I just want you to know that I defied your order. I was passive. I left Eve partake of the fruit. I left Eve talk to a serpent. I turned from you and I turned to someone else. Cain. God said to Cain, you know, if you'll deal with your heart, I'll deal with you different. He confronted Israel. In writing to the believers in Galatia, in Galatians, he brings up the issue of you parted from Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. the root sin of the nation of Israel, I think began in Exodus 32 with the golden calf and became a paradigm, so to speak, that God follows throughout Israel. And basically, Israel became nothing because their idol was nothing. They became like their idol. 
And we today have Christ. But I don't think the church today is exempt from temptations related to idols. We're still human. The enemy still works. And that's why we need one another to encourage us to keep us on track. And even though Israel struggled, God continued to work. Questions or comments as we wrap it up? Again, we'll look at more scripture, more specific scripture next week. It's kind of introducing some things. It's interesting that Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest men in the world, with U.S. Steel, at age 33, did a ruthless examination of himself. And he admitted that man must have an idol. And he came to the conclusion that unless I deal with the idol of my life, it was going to be a problem. He never did. But he said in the next year or two, I need to address my idol. But he never did. And the result was that he did a lot of what we call good, but the people who worked for him almost despised him. Not because of the amount of money he had, but because it ran him. Father, we thank you for your grace in dealing with us, down, you, us humans, down through the pages of history. We know that Satan rebelled against you. We know that Adam and Eve chose to follow the serpent, Satan. We know that Cain chose not to bring an acceptable sacrifice. And we get to the flood, and we know that people basically were very centered in idols at that point in time. Abraham came from an idolatrous country. We know that Jacob's family struggled with idols. And it seems down through the pages of history, humans struggle with idols. May we not be surprised that that is a struggle, but may we be sensitive to you as we seek to live in a world that is consumed with idols, some seen, some unseen, so that we can bring glory to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.